prayer and fasting that we call Moving Forward 2017. We're going to talk today about our vision and our mission, our vision and our mission. Turn to the book of Habakkuk. I know some of you are going, is that a book, Pastor, that's really in the Bible? It is in the Bible. It's on page 1082. That helps you at all. And so Habakkuk chapter 2, of course, you could follow along on the screen. We'll put a lot of these scriptures on the screen. And when we talk about vision, we always read from Habakkuk chapter 2. And I want you to catch clearly what God is saying in the book of Habakkuk. It's one of the minor prophets. It doesn't mean that it's minor in its importance. It just means it's minor in its content. It's only a few chapters long. In Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse number 1, it says this, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. And watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Listen to what it says. We kind of sang it this morning. He said, I'll watch. In other words, I'm going to wait. But it's waiting with expectation. It's not waiting like, like we're just waiting. It's, it's, it's an expectation. I'm, I'm watching. In other words, there's going to be something to see. And he says that I'm going to see what he will say to me. Listen to that phrase. I am going to see what he will say. Come on, let me say it again. I'm going to see what he is going to say. In other words, God is going to speak. And his word is going to create a picture. God speaks and all of a sudden a picture is formed. And this picture is going to be a vision. It goes on to say this. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. What's the vision? The vision is what you see based on what I said. Amen? What you see based on what God has said. That's the vision. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak. It will not lie, though it tarries. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. It will surely come. It will not tarry. Write the vision. Make it plain. And the reason why you write it down and the reason why you make it plain is because someone is going to read it. And if they read it and it's not plain, or if they read it and they can't, they can't grasp it, they'll never be able to run with the vision. And so the Bible says, God's speaking to Habakkuk saying, hey, make it plain, write it down, so that people can run with the vision, run with the vision. If you look back to 1 Samuel chapter 3, let's just flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 3, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. You get a glimpse in 1 Samuel chapter 3 of of why God chose Samuel. The Bible says that in, in this day and age, the word of God was very rare. In other words, God didn't just speak to anybody, but God spoke to Samuel Now, why did he pick Samuel? You say, well, Samuel was in the right place at the right time. That's true. Samuel was in the right place at the right time. But you can be in the right place at the right time and still miss what God has for you. 
There was something special about Samuel's life, something unique about him. And God chose Samuel for a reason. He wasn't the only person serving. He wasn't the only person that had a heart that was, that was righteous or right in those days. He wasn't the only person alive that wanted to do something perhaps for God. But there was something about Samuel. And if you only read it briefly and you miss it, then you, you kind of miss the secret to Samuel's life. And, and let's read in verse number 3. It says, Now the boy... Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation, and it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in this place, when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark was, and while Samuel was lying down, verse 4 says, and the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, here I am. Verse 5 says, So he, Samuel, ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you had called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and laid down. Samuel says, Here I am, you've called me. The voice of God was so clear, it sounded like a human voice. See, we sometimes think that the, the Lord moves in such mysterious ways. How many of you heard that phrase? The Lord, oh he, oh, he moves in mysterious ways. Oh, who could determine the will of God? Who, who could? Listen, God spoke to Samuel in a voice he could understand, in, in something that was so clear, right? He speaks every language on earth. Come on now. He, he's not confused. He's not so mysterious. He's not so far up in the heavens that you cannot hear his voice. God came down, spoke in a room, in a human voice, in Samuel's language, and said, Samuel. The voice was so clear and so distinct that Samuel actually thought it was Eli in the other room. And here's the secret to Samuel's life. The Bible says, and so he got up and he ran. Now, listen, let's not make light of that. Come on now, some of you, how many of you are light sleepers versus the not so light sleepers? I am a light sleeper, okay? The slightest little noise, I go, what was that? Cynthia, go check out, there was a noise in the other room, right? I mean, you know, you just, you just, I remember when, when Sid and I were first married, we bought our first house. Our first house cost $38,000, and we barely qualified. And so we, we, we heard a noise, and I got up. Here I am, man, like 25 years old, 26 years old. We just had a, a, a baby. We got a little baby with us. Caleb was just born. I heard a noise in the kitchen that I was certain was somebody was breaking in. And here I come in. I weighed like 135 pounds uh, of, of solid bone. And so I was just, I, I just ran into the room with my fists clenched. Like, what was I going to do? Like, I, no gun, no weapon, no muscle, no talent, no skill, no nothing, you know? I was going to get wiped out, but I went in there like I was going to save somebody. A broom had fallen onto our linoleum floor and made the sound that I thought was somebody breaking in. But I got up and I ran. How many of you know getting up from a dead sleep 
And going into a full sprint is not the easiest thing in the world. Can I get a witness from somebody? So some of you, you know because you've tried it and bad things have happened to you. And some of you, you wouldn't care. Let them have it. I ain't getting out of this bed. They could take whatever they want. But, but this is Samuel he, in the middle of stage four REM sleep. He gets up and he just takes off running. And God said, that's why I chose that man. That's why that man's going to change the world. That's why I'm calling him. Because there's something about him, even in the middle of the night, when, 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 his, when the priest, when, when his boss calls out and says, Samuel, he runs. Runs to him. There's something about runners. You know, the Bible is actually full of runners. The Bible is full of runners, people who ran. The, let me give you a list. Abraham's servant, when he was looking for a, a wife for Isaac, Abraham's servant, when he saw Rebekah, the Bible says he ran to Rebekah. Of course, we just read Samuel read to Eli. Elijah ran past the chariots. He actually outran the chariots of Pharaoh. David, the Bible says, when he heard Goliath, he ran towards Goliath. Jonah ran towards Nineveh. In fact, the Bible says that he made a three days journey in one day. He ran the whole way. Listen, that demon-possessed man, uh, when, when he was so full of demons, the Bible says when he heard Jesus was in the area, he actually ran towards Jesus and fell down at his feet asking for freedom. Zacchaeus ran towards the tree so that he could see Jesus. Philip ran towards the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch inside. Paul actually said these words, I have what? Run the race that is set before me. The writer of Hebrews instructs us to lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us so that we could what? Run the race that is set before us. And Jesus, when he painted a picture of a father looking for his son, he actually said this, that when the father saw the son a long ways off, the father did what? He ran towards him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. God is looking for runners. Runners! Mark even said it today as we sang that song, I'll wait upon you. Listen, it says when we wait upon God, we can run and not grow weary. Amen? Listen, you have got to get your shoes on and get ready. This year, God has called us to run. That doesn't mean that you're going to expend more energy or, or you have to do something that, 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 that is going to be so exhausting and overwhelming because some of you are looking at me and say, Pastor, I'm tired right now. Listen, it's not a physical running. It is something in the Spirit. It's something where God, His Spirit, His, His desire begins to well up on the inside of us. And we said, hey, listen, I cannot take it anymore. Anymore. This is not the time for walking. This is not the time for strolling. This is the time for running. Amen. This is the time to move forward. Hallelujah. You cannot stroll to a goal. You've got to run for the goal. You've got to run for the prize. 
The day of strolling, the day of sightseeing, the day of window shopping is over. It is time for us to get ready. We have got to run the race that God has called us to run. The hour is late. Jesus is coming back. Listen, it is time for the church to get ready. Amen? Listen, there is a mess going on. Somebody has got to take up the vision and run with it. Hallelujah. It's time to move forward. It is time to say, hey, listen, I've taken it easy too long. I've been on the sideline too long. It's time to get in the game. It's time to say, listen, uh, put me in. I want to run. Listen, they don't pass the baton to people who are sitting on the bench. They pass the baton to people who've already started to accelerate the pace, to people who are already moving forward. They only pass the baton to movers. Hallelujah. We got to move forward. We got to say, God, I need your strength. Listen, not in our own agenda, not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom. We need God's wisdom, God's agenda, God's strength. Amen. We need God's spirit to rise up on the inside of us and said, hey, I'm not going to try it by myself. Holy Spirit, I need you to do what I can't do. It's time to run with the vision. Hallelujah. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tom Urso came up to me on a, on a Sunday morning and he just began to give me a word from God. And I said, can you write that down? I want to share part of that with the congregation. And he said something in there because as soon as he said this particular phrase, it's from a verse that I want to read to you this morning, I knew exactly what it meant because God had already been speaking this to me. And he said this, he said, now is the time for us to beat our plowshares into swords and our pruning hooks into spears. Let me read this verse to you from the book of Joel. In the book of Joel, it says this, Proclaim among the nation, this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. And then it says this, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, come on somebody, let the weak say, I am strong. And then verse 13 says, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. As soon as he said, Listen, it's time to beat our plowshares into swords and our pruning hooks into spears. I knew exactly what he was saying because God had been speaking to me. Hey, listen, this is the year where we launch out, where we move out, where we break out beyond the four walls like never before. What does it mean to beat our plowshares into swords and pruning hooks into spears? Here's what it means. It means to reshape the ordinary reshape the ordinary into something supernatural. Hallelujah. And I believe that's what God's done over this 21 days. God's going to continue to do. Listen, that doesn't mean that we take it easy now. Hey, prayer and fasting is over. No, listen, it just means that we've heard from God. Now is the time to get moving. Now is the time to declare, this is my year. We're moving forward. We're reshaping the ordinary. This is not going to be a year like any other. God's going to do something this year he's never done before among us because it is time to reshape the ordinary into something supernatural. Hallelujah. So we got to get ready. 
We just got to, we got to get ready. We got to get ready. We got to get ready. Let me share with you our vision and our mission that many of you have heard before, but I just want to share it with you again. Number one is we see a church that prays. We see a church that prays. Put prayer on the top of our list. It was said of Caesar that he found Rome, a city of wood, and he left it a city of marble. And the pastor, the leader that can take a church from a non-praying church to a praying church has done a greater work than Caesar because it's far more important for us to pray than anything else. If we could just pray. And then we would see a church that worships, generations worshiping. In fact, the Bible says one generation shall do what? Praise his works, his name to another. One generation teaches another generation to praise. Amen? How did I learn to praise? How, how do I learn to praise? It didn't just come up. I saw people praising. Growing up, I grew up in church. I, I, I knew this is what you do. We lift our hands. There was something about it. Listen, it doesn't mean that we mimic anything. It just means we catch it. Listen, some things are taught, and then some things are caught. Hallelujah. And then we see a church that builds based on the Word of God, teaching the Word of God. This is absolute truth. This is our foundation. This is our moral compass. We'd never get outside the boundaries of God's Word. God's Word is our foundation for Christian living. Amen? And then the last two is this. We see a church that reaches, and we see a church that cares. Now, none of these five points of our vision are exclusive in themselves. It's not about just praying or just worshiping or, or this is, we only do this on certain days. They all work together. It, it is the multifaceted shapes that, that make up this particular vision, and they all work together. Listen, you cannot reach without caring, and you can't care without reaching. Reaching just means that the purpose is we're reaching them to reach their heart, to, to, to reach the lost, that we always keep that as part of our vision. But a part of that also is caring, caring for the orphan, caring for the widow, caring for the down and out, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. Amen? So it's all working together. This is our vision. And then our mission is this. It's just a simple statement. Because it always revolves around church. Listen, we're building a church. Not four walls, but a body of believers here at Grace Chapel. And our mission is very simple. We want to build a church that worships God fully and helps restore people completely. And really, it can be summed up in two words. Worship and restoration. God just dropped those words in my heart years and years ago. Worship and restoration. Worship and restoration. If people ask you, what's your church about? Hey, my church does two things. We, we worship and restoration. It's worship and restoration. Because people are hurting and they're broken and they're in need. Marriages are falling apart. Children are wayward. They're rebelling. And we need to restore families, marriages, people's lives. We need to restore the, the pain uh, of yesterday. We need to restore th them from, because of the pain of yesterday. We need to, to, to get them past their past and tell them, listen, there's still hope. Listen, some people think it's, they're beyond hope. 
Some people think that, hey, everybody's given up on me. There's nobody, nobody, nobody that thinks that I'm going to make it. Hey, I am beyond hope. And the church's mission is to reach into their lives and say, hey, listen, there's nobody beyond hope. Listen, Cynthia and I, we, we sat down with Pastor Tony and Pastor Joni on Friday, and we just told them our story about our marriage. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a series on marriage. And he said, listen, our marriage was hopeless. I mean, we were beyond, if you looked at our marriage in the natural, you thought they'd, we'd never see a happy day ever in our life again. I mean, if you just looked at it, if you just followed us around, if you just lived with us in our home or could just spy in on our life, you saw two unhappy people going through the motions of Christianity and ministry. But we were so miserable and happy. But God restored a love. God restored a marriage. God restored a family so that my kids don't have to to, to grow up in a broken home. It's because of God, not because of us. God did it. Amen? God is our hope. God is a God of restoration. The psalmist said, he restores my soul. As we worship God and restore people, there's just something about it. Now, listen, when you see the vision, I'm going to ask Pastor Mark to come to the, He's going to share for just a moment, and then we're going to go back into just one worship song this morning. As you see a vision and a mission, there's something about it. I, I liken it to this. It's a group picture. Whenever you are part of a group picture and somebody shows you that picture, what's the first thing you look for? Yourself. You look to see if you're the one knucklehead with your eyes closed among everybody else that looks fantastic, right? They look like models, but you've got your eyes closed. You're not facing the camera, right? You want to see yourself. And the same is true of every organization, including here at Grace Chapel. When you hear about vision and you hear about prayer, you hear about worship, you hear about building kids and teenagers with the Word of God. You hear about reaching out. You hear about caring. You hear about worship and restoration. You say, hey, that's a, that's a group picture. I, do I see myself there? Several years ago, Pastor Mark shared a story with me. He's going to take a few minutes this morning to share the story. It's one of the most incredible stories I've heard, and it fits so well. It's just an illustration that God gave him, actually, he walked through. And I want him to share it this morning. Would you listen to Pastor Mark as he shares? So uh, several years ago, when my oldest son was working with me and doing remodeling work, we were up in Jupiter remodeling a, um, a gentleman's house, and we were out in the back redoing the pool. We had to do all this work to the pool. And, um, you know, the guy was just... He was a single guy who had more money than he should have ever been allowed to have. Anyway, he just says, just get rid of everything, please. Get rid of everything. And there were these two pots on the back uh, patio that had these sticks coming up out of the dirt. And um, I don't know why. I, I'm, I've always been a lover of of nature. I've always been a lover of things God has made. I'm so mesmerized by sunsets. I'm, I'm blown away by sunrise. I, I, when we go to the mountains, 
I can barely speak sometimes when I just look at the majesty of all that God has created. And it really is overwhelming. And I love working with my hands. I've always enjoyed working with my hands. So when I get a chance to garden or do anything like that, it's just, to me, that's fun. And it feels like I'm actually, in a strange way, I'm in communion with the Lord because, you know, God found dirt to be very special. If you don't believe me, look at the person next to you. That's what God did with the dust of the earth. So I'm just, I'm blown away by God's creativity. So here's these two... (laughs) I really liked the pots they were in, but I thought, you know, I asked the guy, well, what are these plants? He goes, oh, well, they they were bougainvilleas. He says, but those weren't normal bougainvilleas. Those were the kind that put off a salmon-colored leaf. Now, if you know bougainvilleas, bougainvilleas are the really thorny plants that are really pretty purple, or sometimes they're kind of fuchsia color, but this was a salmon-colored bougainvillea. Well, I'd never seen one, so I said, oh, I'll take those. And my son, Ryan, at the time just goes, Dad, you're going to take two dead plants home. What are you going to do with those? <laughs> or actually, it was one plant. So anyway, I, I grabbed the pot, stuck it in my van, and took it home. Well, for the next uh, year and a half, I had to hear from my family, oh, Dad's got, <laughs> Dad's got his dead plant out on the back porch. I stuck that thing on the back porch. But I knew something that they didn't know. Because when I went to look at the plants, yes, there wasn't a leaf on them. They were pretty dried up looking. The soil was as dry as it can be. But I broke one of the branches, and I could see green inside that branch. And everything inside of me said, that plant's alive. And so I just took the plant because, you know, I just thought it would be, it'd be a challenge. I like a challenge. I took it home. I watered that thing and I watered that thing every day. And my wife laughed at me. I can't wait for next service. <laughs> she laughed at me. She goes, oh, you're going to go water your dead plant. <laughs> you know, my kids laughed at me. Everyone made fun of me, which is okay. Cause you know, I'm dad. And isn't that what dads are for? So they just, they just ridiculed me for, I mean, it was a year, year and a half, nothing, nothing. I'd snap a branch. Nope, it's alive. I'd keep watering that thing. Year and a half goes by. I go out one morning. I'm on the porch having coffee. Here's a little leaf coming off a branch. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a normal person, but I just went, I got so excited. I started screaming. My wife comes out. She goes, no way. We looked at that thing, and sure enough, and do you know within about two months, that thing was full of leaves, full of leaves, most beautiful plant. Those, that was probably 11 years ago. 12, no, that was longer than that. It was 15 years ago. That plant, I actually, I, I split that plant in half and made two plants out of it, and those things are on our back porch today. They're about six and a half feet tall. They put off the most beautiful um, colored bougainvillea flowers, whatever. I don't think they're called flowers on a bougainvillea, but whatever the petal is on those things, they're beautiful. They're salmon colored. They're just gorgeous. And it reminded me of my story with the Lord because by all outward signs, I looked dead in every way. And I just want to encourage you today. I I have a scripture here that I really feel like the Lord... um, put on my heart 
years ago, and I, I had to look it up. And, you know, this isn't a book of the Bible that you run to when you're looking for encouragement. The book of Lamentations, which means to lament. It's like the saddest book in the whole Bible. But how many of you know that whenever you read anything, when God rebukes the nation at the end of it, there's always hope. He always presents the hope. And this says in Lamentations 5.21, Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. We will Say, we will be restored. Say, I will be restored. Renew us and renew our days as of old. You know, there was a time when the man that bought that plant went to a nursery and saw the most beautiful plant, beautiful enough that he forked out some money for that thing and brought it home and put it on his patio. Years of neglect, years of forgetting about it took place, years of not nourishing it, not watering it, okay? Years of that neglect made that thing look dead to everybody. But I think what God sees in you and what God sees in me He knows what's on the inside. He knows there's signs of life. So when things look at their absolute worst, when you think it's over, all you have to do is trust in the Lord because he knows things you don't know. Okay, You may think, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. I don't care how bad, how vile, how decrepit it was. God knows that there's signs of life inside of you. And when he brings it back to life, man, is it beautiful. Because not only is it a beautiful plant now, but there's a testimony behind that plant that makes me realize every day, all I have to do is trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding. And all of my ways acknowledge him and he will direct my paths. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I'm just going to encourage you today. If you are there, if you think there's no hope, There's no way. There is a way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Mark. Would you do this this morning? Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you today. We're going to worship God with a song that many of you have heard us sing before. We're very familiar with it. Listen. Mark said his life and his marriage was dead by all outward accounts. I just shared my life, my marriage was completely dead. But what we didn't know, but God knew, is he saw on the inside that there was just a little bit of green there, just a little bit of life there. And let me tell you, you may think my opportunities have gone and my life has been shattered and things have fallen apart and it will never be like it used to be and I'll never get back what the enemy stole from me. I'm here to tell you, don't look on what it looks like on the outside. On the inside, God says there's hope. There's hope. And there's hope for us and there's hope for those that we're to reach out to today.